You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you with us again for Coffee and Clergy as we continue on uh, week two of our series on Christian vocation. Yeah, two of six weeks. Two of six weeks. So we'll be with the next, uh, I guess, five weeks. We're going to be talking about how God has created us with a certain plan in mind and that uh, the various uh, stations, if you will, that he's put us in, the various roles he's given us, um, he's called us there for a purpose and for a reason. And so we asked the question, well, what is that purpose and what is that reason? So we're going to talk about that a little more today. Uh, if it's your first time with us, welcome. Uh, if you've been with us before, uh, then welcome again as well. But uh, we have this uh, series and all of our series on uh, Coffee and Clergy are live at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, on Wednesday. And if you're, so if you're with us live, welcome. If not, then that's where you can catch us live. And if you can't catch us live, you can always watch us later uh, on our Facebook page or on our YouTube page. You can uh, go watch the recordings. And then you can also find uh, the audio version of the recordings uh, on your podcasting app, wherever you get those from, whether it be Apple or Google or Spotify or wherever. So make sure you check us out. And we got a lot of, uh, a lot of other series that we've done in the past, and we're excited to march on with some new series coming in the future, including this one on vocation. So before we begin today, maybe let's open with a prayer and invite God into our discussion before we get into His Word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day and for your presence in our midst by your Holy Spirit that uh, in this discussion on vocation, we would be uh, to some degree self-critical of our shortcomings, how we have failed to live up to the expectation of that calling that you have for us. But we pray also, God, that by your mercy and by the new creation which you've made in us by your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, compel us toward the vocations that you're calling us to fulfill. We thank you for purpose and meaning in this life, uh, knowing that it comes from you and knowing that it is found sometimes in the most mundane uh, opportunities that we have in our lives. And so we pray that uh, this purpose and this meaning would enliven us today, that we might hear your word, we might live out our vocation, and love our neighbor. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Yeah, we, we live in a day and a time where people like to do their own thing, make their own choices, and sometimes yeah. we forget that uh, God is always at work behind the scene, and as He is at work, He calls us to very specific things, um, um, uh, situations in life, uh, people who are around us, and uh, that uh, sometimes we forget that God is also making a choice on what he would have us do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he wants us to be aware of that. He's not only redeemed us um, to make us his own, but he's redeemed us for a, for a purpose. 
uh, to use the gifts that he's given us to love and serve our neighbor. Yeah, and I think that makes the redemption even more robust. I mean, there, obviously when we think of redemption and salvation language, we're talking about how we were lost but now we're found. But we weren't just found to go back into the pocket. We were found to be spent, if, we, if you think of the parable of the lost coin, right? We were, we, were, we were meant to be a treasure which is invested as God has given us skills and abilities. And so we were redeemed, we were found, we were saved for a reason. Yeah. to do something awesome. And one of the things I love about vocation is that, that it's a, a very real and tangible thing that we do mm-hmm. uh, as we use the gifts that God has given us. And it's, uh, so, uh, you know, a, an example is if God has given someone the gift of teaching and we find ourselves around people that need to learn something, yeah. uh, that that is a very apt and appropriate um, vocational gift that we can use for his purpose and for his pleasure yeah. uh, as we live out our life. And it, it, it benefits us and others as well. Mm, so it becomes a win-win-win situation uh, yeah. all the way around. And, and yet you mentioned our sinful nature there. Sometimes our sinful nature um, wants to do its own thing mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily want to follow God's plan. No. Um, and so maybe we'll start off with a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you really didn't want to go somewhere or really didn't want to do something, mm-hmm. um, but after you ended up going there or doing that thing that you didn't want to do, it actually was a, a joy and a delight and you learned something and it actually became a positive experience? Yeah, so I go back to my, my college days for this, my freshman year of college at well, then it was called University of Missouri Raw, and now it's Missouri University of Science and Technology. But uh, the first year I was there, um, like all college students, I was in charge of my own faith life at that point. My parents came with me and helped me move in. And, and the last, one of the last things my mom said to me is, now make sure you go to church and make sure you do that. It's like the last thing a college student wants to do after you know, a long, fun Saturday night is wake up early in the morning, make it to 8 o'clock service, and... But I, I managed to do that. Uh, I think partially it was because we had, uh, with my football team, we had 7 a.m. morning workouts the day after a game to stretch out, loosen up. Um, and so that was hopeful. I had to get up anyway, so I was like, eh, I might as well go, go home, shower, and go to church. And eventually that molded into me being really involved at the church in a lot of ways. Um, I taught the kindergarten Sunday school at that church. I was involved in the adult inquirers, Tuesday night class. Now, once again, there's sort of a selfish side effect of that. I got to skip out on some study hours that I was uh, required to do um, for the place where I was living because I was able to go to a religious service thing. I got to skip out on that. So that was kind of nice. Talk about God versus having your nose stuck in a thermodynamics tech, textbook or whatever. So that was nice. But, uh, but you know, I, was, I, I would say I was in that state where I wasn't exactly enthralled and excited to be, you know, getting to church and going to Bible studies and being involved in those things. But, but uh, I did it, and because of that, not only was it a blessing in the moment, but in hindsight, it was a pivotal moment in my life. I'm a pastor now, and I think a lot of that uh, contributes to those early days of, of serving and being involved at that church uh, when I kind of forged my own faith life apart from my home family and, and parents. And uh, so that's an encouragement for all college students out there. Um, it's very important to the rest of your faith life how you, how you uh, react to the, the church and, and, and serving your Lord and your neighbor when you're in college. Yeah, I had a, a similar thought. It was back in my college days. And if you were to tell me, 
early on in college that I was going to be a pastor, I probably would have laughed. Um, when I was younger, um, probably one of my biggest fears was to talk in front of people. Mm. And now that as a pastor, you know, we do that all the time. But um, uh, so I think back to those days and um, God, through uh, my college experience, helped me to realize that I could I could speak in front of people and um, and so I had the opportunity later in life and the encouragement from my campus pastor mm. uh, to look into ministry. And uh, it's interesting how God moves us in life yeah. um, and, and uh, uh, moved me to go into the seminary. And um, now it's one of my greatest joys, whether it's preaching or teaching, uh, that's a great joy in life as, as we get to share God's word with yeah. other people. Yeah. In front of other people. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, sometimes God's plans are different than our plans and um, they can become a great blessing. Uh, and he, he knows we often forget, but he knows better than we do yeah. um, what gifts we need and how they should be used. Yeah. Another one that popped into my mind too was I was on uh, spring break when I was in school and I came home to Arkansas um, for spring break to visit with family and I really, really wanted to sleep in. But my grandpa at the time was working with a Habitat for Humanity project on a house. And he invited me to go. And I was like, I love my grandpa. I really don't want to go. But I'll, I'll do it because he invited me. And I went, uh, I think, four out of the five mornings that I was there at home. I went with my granddad at 8 o'clock to go work on this Habitat house for four hours before lunch. And then had the afternoons off to do stuff. And... And my my granddad's gone now, but that's one of the best times because it was just he and I, you know, using our hands, working with hammers, building stuff, and and so some of the fondest memories I have of my granddad were, you know, were those kinds of memories of working around the Habitat house. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Those couple hours lost sleep were were very well worth it. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. only in hindsight can you really see the benefit of those things. That's true. And so uh, another question, does, does God ever uh, or often uh, call us away from our current situation in life? And, um, and, and as we look at our neighbors, um, you know, as we look at our situation in life and the neighbors around us, uh, how are we called to serve them? But there's a, there's a couple of passages of scripture that we want to look at okay. and uh, to help us answer those questions. Sure. Um, the first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I can field that one if you want to. Okay. Um, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith is the Lord in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. 
Okay, and a second passage is from Luke chapter 10, um, and uh, it says, beginning in verse 29, it says, um, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, a man had come up to Jesus and asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell, among, fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so, uh, again, the first question, does God ever call us away from the situation in life? And we could, there's probably a couple different ways to look at that, but yep. um, a, a lot of times we would answer. I, I would answer no at first. Okay. I would answer yes very cautiously. Okay. I think the whole point that Paul's making in the beginning of, uh, the, really that whole part of 1 Corinthians 7 is people are too apt to try and throw off some discomfort in life because they feel like they're they're transformed. We are transformed, but sometimes the transformation in Christ does not lead us away from the responsibilities or the um, the hardships that we're presently in. And so I think oftentimes people feel after a, a grant transformation of faith, if they're baptized, for example, in adulthood or something like that, they feel confused that they don't that life isn't all of a sudden different or better or or that they haven't it hasn't become easier to handle the problems of life and I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to utilize their their newfound Christian faith to justify throwing off responsibilities or hardships or things that that God is is calling you to so Paul's kind of exhortation here for people is don't don't use your your newfound Christian faith as an excuse to try to get away from life's hardships. Instead, realize God called you to faith in the midst of those hardships. And he's using those. He's using the, the challenges, the responsibilities, the, the pains, the struggles, the sorrows, the joys, all of it, the whole story. He's using that as a part of your story. So I think people need to be cautious too quickly of saying, well, God's calling me to go do this thing or God's calling me away from this thing to go try something else um, because they perceive it to be holier. Martin Luther, for example, after the Reformation was had a hard time convincing people not to become monastic. You know, people were all about like trying to do everything just so and perfectly, which was sort of against his whole mentality of saved by grace through faith. A lot of people were so grateful for the newfound um, faith that they had found in hearing the word for the first time that they were trying to make all these kind of holier changes to their life. And, and Martin Luther's like, no, you're a farmer. 
be a farmer, right? We don't need a thousand priests. We need good fathers, mothers, farmers, miners, you know, craftsmen to be Christians as well as some priests, some this and that. So to me, I think that is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is sometimes, yes, God does call us away from certain stations in our life. For example, people who become Christians who have some part of their life that's very destructive um, and is leading them further into sin or pulling them further away from God. God will call us away from certain destructive behaviors. Uh, He'll pull us into greater responsibility in some areas to remove uh, our entanglements in other areas of our life. So it's it's a, a loud and resounding no with a small caveat <laughs> asterisked yes yeah yeah and and sometimes even in in the um, the public ministry the the office of the ministry sometimes God calls us to different situations mm-hmm. and um, and in, in having the same thing people in uh, in the workforce out in the world sometimes they're called to a new position that causes them to move and and uh, and so there are times that God does that. But again, most of the time, God wants us to stay where we're at. I like that about this First Corinthians passage. There were three times he said, in whatever situation the Lord has assigned you in, stay there. Um, uh, remain in that situation. And um, so that's uh, most often what he would have us do. Yeah. And um, uh, But God gives us many opportunities to serve. Um, as we find people all around us, we have many opportunities to serve them in, in a variety and various ways. Yep. And, and that becomes both exciting and can be frustrating at the same time. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, as we get into it. But um, again, in the passage with the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Good Samaritan found someone in need as he was going down the road, as he was traveling, and he recognized that this man was in need of help. He had the opportunity to help him, and so that's what he did. Yeah, this, these two passages don't really seem to link up until you realize what it's essentially, what they're getting at here is essentially the one thing that will cause a person to be called out of their station is because someone over here needs help or because God has a, a very specific plan in place for you to do this thing. And so the, the Good Samaritan is probably not on the road to go find people to help. Right. Right. He's probably on the road to go do something, some task, some responsibility he has. But then along the way, God calls him to something different because there's someone who's in need. And so that's sort of the, when we talk about the asterisk yes of God changing your station, this is an example of an asterisk yes, that there was there was a priest whose right responsibility was to help people and he failed to do so. There was a Levite whose main responsibility was to help people and he failed and then here comes a Samaritan who's not called to that responsibility. Who would have not liked Jews who would have very easily have found an excuse not to help this man um, but realized that he was able to do so. I guess I could say he was not overtly called to help the man. It wasn't like his his main responsibility in life but all have responsibility for loving their neighbor whether you're Jew or Gentile so even though this man wasn't a Jew, but a Samaritan, he was still called to love his neighbor, and he took up the calling to help. And so uh, another question is, how does God view those who neglect the the gifts and talents that God has given to them? And and what is the result? And there's another passage that we want to read to help us answer that question. Sure, yeah. We'll go to Luke chapter 19. Yeah, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. I forgot to invite people. If you want to follow along with your Bible, go ahead and uh, have those handy, and you can 
crack it open to where we're going. But Luke chapter 19, we'll begin at verse 11. While they, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself an appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. He put money to work, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained from, with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, this master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has returned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as, as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. For those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay. So again, the first question, how does God view those who neglect their gifts and talents? I forgot to say at the end of that, this is the gospel of the Lord. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. I, sometimes Jesus' yeah. words aren't so sweet. They're it more can be bitter, harsh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, going back to the question, um, for those who neglect their talents, I mean, it's not good. Yeah, it's harsh words for them. Yeah, it's not good. I think, I think this is sort of... Uh, Harkening back to like, you could even go as far as Cain and Abel, right? That Cain has uh, a calling and a responsibility, and and his his produce is is potentially insufficient. We don't know whether it was he gave a bad offering because uh, he didn't have good stuff to give, or whether he kept all the good stuff for himself and gave God the bad stuff out of the greed of his heart. Regardless, it was his heart that was the problem. But we have at, at the heart of people who don't give what they what God has given them sort of the same heart of like I'm going to keep the best for myself you know I'm going to keep give, the best of my own give time some leftovers to God yeah I'm going to use use my skills for me or for my own benefit rather than for God um, obviously you see what happens to Cain when God when God uh, delivers his his sort of uh, final judgment about Cain and Abel right uh, but it's not it's not good it's certainly not good yeah and um, and so what what does God what does God expect when He gives us His gifts? Us to be good stewards of those gifts. I think that's the the expectation. You see here, I, Jesus gives gradients here, and I think that's for a reason. Here, He says the guy who has a, a coin turns it into ten ten minas. Well done, 
here's you know that and then the other guy comes up and he didn't do as good and it's like oh well I'm inferior to this other guy so my gift's no good it's like no that's that was what you were able to do out of your with the gifts you were given gifts you were given so God is not calling for for success in terms of like a great return he's more interested in the the giver or the the one who has been given the gifts and how he's internally processing that and using them so it's not about the for for god it's not about the final result as much as it is about the process of of uh, using those gifts for his for his work um that's where that's why even though even though the it's not, you could even say another part of this is the man didn't go and spend the king's mind on frivolous living and get punished, right? Mm-hmm. Of course he would get punished if he did that. But instead, he simply just sat on it. So I think a lot of Christians today are probably in that same boat where they're like, well, I've been given this life. I'm going to do all I can to avoid offending God. And maybe he'll have mercy on me when he comes again. It's like, that's one way to live your life. It's not a smart way. Right. Right. There's You, you can certainly anger God by by throwing your life into devious pursuits and, and you know disobey him, but you can also offend God by not putting this life to good use that he's given you as a gift. So um, there's kind of two, two roads there. Yeah, and sometimes we forget that some of the gifts that, that God has given us is simply our gift of faith. How mm-hmm. do we put that into practice? Another gift that God has given us is the gift of his son, um, how do we talk about his son as we live uh, our life in the world? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we talk about here at King of Kings is we talk about um, spiritual conversations. Yeah. And you, in fact, you preached on that this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. And God wants us to, to have those spiritual conversations as he is a part of the world and a part of people's lives. And, um, and he's working all around us. And so how do we, how do we join God in that, that work that he's doing? So um, another question is that why does God give different gifts to to different Christians? Uh, Is he being arbitrary or unfair? Uh, Does he have a reason for giving us different gifts? And so we're going to look at a passage from, uh, from Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse three, and I'll read that one. It says, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For each, uh, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so first of all, God has given different gifts um, but why does he give different gifts to different Christians? And should we compare ourselves with each other? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's because God is an artist in his creation, and he doesn't want the whole painting to be blue. Okay. He wants some red in there. He wants some green in there. He wants some black and white and yellow. And the painting is more beautiful when it incorporates a greater diversity of color, shade, hue, 
And so that's sort of the same thing in God's creation of this world. He made the worlds so that it complements the rest of the world. So he made, he made you to complement the rest of the world. He made me to complement the rest of the world. And if we were exactly the same, That'd be my contribution <laughs> would be the exact same as yours, right? Yeah. And so there would, it would be boring. It would be dull. It would be you know, kind of banal. So that's sort of where God, his artistic side comes out is in his creation, right? He, he makes different things on different days, and each one is good in its own way. And then all together, when he beholds the glory of all of his creation he he doesn't just say it's good he says it's very good so the the diversity of the creation over the days and the diversity of the sustaining of creation over the years since then god would say it's very good because it's diverse it it complements itself it functions as a as a as a, a symbiotic kind of organism that that needs different parts all of the different, different things, things yeah and uh, so it's not arbitrary, it's not unfair. In fact, um, uh, God has given us different gifts. Um, uh, and another trap, I think, that people fall into is that we begin to compare ourselves with other people. Yeah. Uh, again, whether one person um, uses their, their gift or talent, like in the, in the parable, he uses his mina for, uh, to gain 10 more, while another gained five more. And, and God is pleased with both simply because they use the gifts in the situation in which they were living in. Yeah. And, and both of those would bring glory to God. And, um, um, and that becomes uh, a blessing. And sometimes we look at others, we, we compare ourselves with, with each other and we say, well, that's unfair, or that's not right. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't look at, at the, the world in that way at all. He recognizes the gifts that he's given us. He says, I want you to use them to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, that will give me glory. Yeah. And um, so that, that's a, a challenge for us when, um, when we're tempted to compare ourselves with other people. Yeah. So how are these various gifts that God has given us? Um, um, how do they relate to one another? And... Um, Again, are, are all gifts important? We've kind of talked about that, but let's look at another passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sure. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. Just as a body, though one has many parts, put, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that are that we think are less honorable 
we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So again, we've, we've talked about there's a variety of different gifts, but the question is, how are, they, how are they related to each other? Well, they all have a function. They're all going towards the same goal, right? It's, if, you're, if your right foot wants to go right and your left foot wants to go left, you're not going to go very far. Nope. Um, and you're going to walk funny. Yeah, and you're going to walk funny, yeah. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> well, for a little while you will, and then you'll just stop. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to is um, in our own life of faith, if part of us is pulling one direction and another part of us is pulling a different direction, then we're going to be immobilized. We're going to be stuck. So that's sort of the, the contrasting natures of the sinner and the saint, right? Our sinful nature wants one thing and our and our uh, saintly nature in Christ wants another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to do what we can from our side to daily drown the old Adam by remembering our baptism and daily walk with Christ so that we can actually go somewhere in this life yeah. and do something in this life. One of, the, one of the fascinating things about a body is when it works together, uh, the fascinating thing is what it can accomplish. Yes. And um, that's what God would have us do. We who make up the body of Christ, we who are a part of his family, we can do amazing things as we work together and use the different gifts that God has given us for his purpose. So um, again, a question, are all the gifts important? Yes. Uh, There may be one or two that are uh, more highly regarded in the world, but they are all very important. There There are... People that have set skills and abilities and blessings from God that uh, the world doesn't value, but that are absolutely imperative and necessary. So I think of things like um, service and hospitality and things like that. The world doesn't really care about that stuff. I mean, it doesn't reward that stuff. Maybe it cares a little bit, but it doesn't reward it. It doesn't give more money to teachers who are really good at helping kids learn and grow and things like that. It doesn't give... Uh, great honor and respect to people who spend an extra weekend, you know, at the soup kitchen and things like that. It may pay some credence to the fact that we should all try and do a little more of that stuff, but it doesn't reward it in any potential way. Mm-hmm. God does, though. He rewards it. So it's sort of like uh, when you think about like an athlete, like a star athlete, right? You might say something like, you know, that, that quarterback has a great arm, right? He's not just a walking arm, right? Uh, obviously, to be an NFL quarterback, you have to have some degree of athletic ability outside of just the ability to throw the ball really hard. You have to have a good mind to understand and comprehend things. You have to have good feet to move around in the pocket. and You know, you have to be, have to be tough because you're going to get hit by guys my size or bigger, you know, who are, can actually run and do stuff. Um, so you also need good linemen to protect you him. Do, yeah. yeah. So that's true too. I mean, we, I'm st- you're, you're stepping outside of just the individual into the team dynamic. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but, but sort of even within that body, when you say he has a great arm, it's like, yeah, but it's complemented by a bunch of other pretty good stuff too, mm-hmm. to make an NFL quarterback. Well, it's sort of the same thing in our, in in the world, right? If 
if we say those Christians are really great at one thing, it's like, yeah, but there's another, there's other complementary skill sets which are required to make that thing work really well. Mm-hmm. So if the Lutheran church has great theology, for example, well, yeah, but it also has great Sunday school teachers and it has great, um, you know, LWML servants and has great uh, administrative staff and things like that that make the theology of the church relevant in the first place or if our preaching is good or if our service is good in this church then there are other complementary aspects under the surface that don't receive the same honor yeah but are worthy of it so um there are different gifts they're all important and yet again uh, the sinful nature can sometimes get the best of us and we recognize that um, sometimes there is jealousy or discord within the body um, but God always would re- want to remind us that um, he has a greater purpose, mm. even though those things can interrupt. And uh, there's another passage from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, that uh, uh, talks about this. I'll read that, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so um, um, as differences come up, um, what does God want us to remember? Um, what is this uh, higher purpose that he's calling us to uh, as we live out our life in this world? Uh, well, this verse points to me to the unity that we have in Christ Jesus with each other. That, But I think that there's a slightly higher unspoken uh, purpose that he's driving to, higher purpose, that, that can't be accomplished without that unity. So this is the first step. Be united in Christ. Mm-hmm. And... Until you are united in Christ, you can't do the true mission, which is to, to join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. The Christian church can do no good thing in the world until it is united in Christ. Once it's united in Christ, and it puts its divisions as secondary to its, what unites it, um, then it will continually struggle to accomplish God's mission. So that's why you know, we, we talk about... Um, we do talk about the importance of distinctions in the Christian faith uh, between different denominations and things like that. But we would, we would agree that although we, we, sh- we have those distinctions for a purpose and a reason, the, the most important and central uh, sort of doctrine of the Christian faith is that which unites in Christ all Christian believers, which is why we say the creed every week and why we uh, do our best to serve in our communities and uh, reach people with the love of Jesus, right? And, and really, that's, that's the end goal, is that we would join Christians around the world in bringing others to Christ and uh, sharing in the mission to make disciples and teach and okay. um, send others out. So as, as we follow our Lord and the commands that he gives us, um, our calling isn't just so that we feel good. No. Um, oftentimes it's a, it's a call to sacrificial living. Yeah. And uh, so God calls us to love our neighbor through our vocations where he sends us out into the world. And um, so what's, what's the connection between 
uh, loving our neighbor and fulfilling God's law. Hmm. And there's a couple more verses that we want to look at to help us answer that question. Those, those questions, but first of all, um, the first one's from Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 9 and 10. So you can take a look at that. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And the, the second passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the, the love chapter of Scripture. And here St. Paul is speaking and he says, If I speak in the tongues or the languages of men or of angels, I do not but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues or languages, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And um, so again, what's the connection between love and God's law? And, um, and what does true love look like? Well, the, the connection, I mean, I, I don't even call it a connection. I would just say that love of the neighbor is God's command. It's okay. like saying, what's the connection between red and this thing on the table here? Well, it is red, so there's <laughs> no connection. It's just what it is. And, and, well, maybe it's half of what it is, right? So half of the law is loving your neighbor. Half, the other half is loving your God. So uh, that's really the connection. I don't think that you can even expand on that at all, hardly, other than just to say, Love is what the law is, and that's yeah. made clear here in First Corinthians 13. And one one of the thoughts that I had, it's you know, while he's he's calling us to be kind and polite, um, he he wants us to be more than just being kind and and, and polite. If there is an opportunity to serve our neighbor in a um, in a very specific way, um, I believe God would have us do that. Um, um, for example. Um, he just, you know, as we give a sermon, he just doesn't want us to be kind in the words that we say. He wants us to apply it to the people. It might involve bringing out the law and, and specifically focusing on some issue that's going on, uh, even though it might be difficult or um, 
to discuss or as people can apply it to their life, it might even be hurtful as they apply it to their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and so I think that's sort of the image that it brings up to me is, and you can apply this analogy in a lot of different ways of how to love, but if you're walking on the road and you see a, a pit and there's a person down in the pit, being kind and nice is like, that's so unfortunate that you ended up in the pit. I'm sorry about Have that. Have a good day, you know, whereas like, and, and then you can go too far sometimes and you can be like, oh no, a pit. Here, let me help. And you jump in and then you're just another person stuck in the pit. So helping and loving is seeking to uh, go into the situation to some degree to help a person who needs help while also keeping a foot outside the situation so that you can actually be a help rather than a hindrance too. So if someone is having a difficult time in your life, you want to sit beside them, talk with them, love them, give them all the support, connect them with the right people to talk to that you can. And in loving them, you're not just walking by and saying, have a nice day, hope it's better tomorrow, and you don't end up in the pit again. But instead, taking steps and actions to seek to resolve the 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 brokenness or the problem in the person's life. Yeah. And as we apply the thought of love to that, um, love is not self-seeking. We're not doing this action for our own good to say, look how good we are. Um, but we're doing it to help our neighbor. Yeah. And there may be a sacrifice that's involved. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, sacrifice of time or finances or um, um, it um, may cause some physical exertion on our part um, as we help our neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so what's the connection between God's love and uh, a Christian's action of love? Um, um, and again, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, what self-sacrifice might be involved, but let's look at another passage from 1 John chapter 3. Sure. 1 John 3, 11 to 20. I'll read that now. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have, done, we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His, service, in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and, we know, and He knows everything. So sometimes what God calls us to in our vocation is to sacrificially love someone else. Yep. Um, what does that mean? What are some examples that you can think of? Well, we are all very driven by self-interest, right? We eat food because our stomachs are hungry. We uh, watch TV because we need to get away from the hustle and bustle of life. We, we have kids because we want to see uh, our sort of lineage continue. We do a lot of things in this life. 
we buy cars and homes because we want comfort. We do this, that, and the other thing, go on vacations. We do a lot of things out of self-interest. And so sacrificing means that you make a decision not out of self-interest, but out of the interest of another. Uh, and so sacrificing means not only do you make a decision that's out of the interest of another, but it's actually contradictory to your own self-interest as well. So you are uh, foregoing a decision for your own self-interest for the sake of the interest of someone else. Okay. It's probably one of the, the better definitions I can come up with. Yeah, you know. yeah. And Christ himself did that, right? Yes. Yeah. He, he forsook his own pleasure in heaven uh, to come into the world where it was difficult to live, where he would be accused uh, falsely, where he would be ridiculed, yeah. uh, all for our sake. And uh, went to the cross knowing that that would be a literal sacrifice, yeah. um, uh, but a sacrifice that would give us life and a relationship with God. And One of the thing, images that went through my head in preparation for this study about this sacrificial nature is, I never really put it together why the, why the prayer of Jesus in the garden the night before his death was, was vital to the story. I always thought it was kind of like, you know, Jesus, is, his whole ministry, he's like, aimed and pointed towards the crucifixion. It's not a surprise. So why is he, you know, asking God to deliver him from the cup? What it really does, I think, is that part of the narrative shows us that it was not in Jesus' self-interest to die on the cross for us. He did not want to suffer. He did not want to die. But he knew that that was God's plan, and so he did it anyway. And that shows that it truly was a self-sacrificial thing. He didn't want that to happen, but he did it anyway. Versus if he was the whole time, he was just kind of merrily marching to the cross because he knew that was what was going to happen. And it never crossed his mind that this is not good for me. <laughs> then, then it doesn't really carry the same weight when he says, not your will, but, or not my will, but your will be done. And that is really what the prayer of all those who sacrifice for another is, is I don't want to do this at all, but not my will, but, but your will be done. Your will is that I love this person, even though it's going to cause all kinds of problems for me. Yeah. And with sacrifice, there is pain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that pain was brought into the world back when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God. Uh, that pain has been felt time and time again. Um, but the one way to deal with that, that sin and the pain and uh, suffering that goes with it was for Christ to die on the cross. Yeah. And his suffering was real. And, um, you know, you, we have that image of Christ in the garden of, of him with drops of blood, sweat like drops of blood that were falling to the ground. He was, uh, it was a very anxious, difficult moment for him. Um, he knew the reality of, of what was being asked of him. And, um, and yet he said to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Um, um, sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations and it's not until that moment that we realize the amount of suffering that's going to be a part of it. And, um, and sometimes those can be hard decisions. It's easy to walk away from that, that pain and suffering, especially if it's for somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, but God calls us oftentimes uh, to do that, to take those steps. Um, uh, for the sake of someone else, I think of parenting. Yeah. Um, parenting isn't always easy, um, but you do that for the sake of your son or your daughter uh, so that they'll uh, grow up and be good and honest people. Um, 
and um, uh, the the ultimate goal is that they can be self-reliant uh, in in as they rely on God, mm-hmm. um, but using the gifts that God has given them for uh, um, uh, so that they can be independent and uh, bring God's blessings to other people. Yep. And um, so um, again, we're reminded that that every vo- vocation uh, also involves a relationship. And uh, we're also reminded that because we're sinful people, those relationships can uh, break time and time again. That it it breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with other people. Um, But because of God's grace in Christ, he makes this relationship new. He restores these relationships. And again, he reminds us who we are as his people. Mm -hmm. And so there's um, another passage from Romans chapter 2. Uh, 12 that um, uh, reminds us uh, again of God's love in Christ and and, uh, in the midst of the conflicts that we have. And so um, I'll read that passage from Romans 12 beginning with verse 9 uh, through 21. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And um, so again, um, we're reminded of of conflicts uh, that can arise again from self-interest, from self-love. And and yet uh, this very practical section in in, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans uh, remind us that, um, uh, again, God would have us uh, not only get rid of evil, but to do those things that are good as we, we love and serve our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And um, so sacrificial love means, um, it means, uh, again, turning away from our own interest, loving our neighbor with, uh, with, a, with a brotherly affection. And, um, and if, if they do something wrong, um, Probably the easiest thing to do is, how can I get back at them? But what, is, what does God say here? That's not the right path. That's yeah. the path that leads to destruction. Um, that's the path that creates division in relationships, even on back to the Garden of Eden. And so it's so amazing. It's you know 6,000 years later, and we're still doing the exact same things, right? Yeah. Nothing's changed. We've just added more technology and fancier clothes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that's kind of it, is it? The, the conflicts that undermine our relationships are when we choose our own self-interest over the interests of others. And 
as I'm reading through this, these verses in Romans 12 that we just read, it's like these verses are wonderful verses because they're, they, you can read it two ways, right? You can look at it and be as a mirror and be like, am I really patient in affliction? No, I hate being afflicted. Am I really mourning with those who mourn? Not at all. I don't like mourning. Mourning's no fun. Am I associating with people in low position or am I trying to rise up the ladder by associating with those above me? It's like, well, yeah, okay, sure. It, that way it's a mirror that points really, really harshly a light on you that you're not as good as you think you are. Then hopefully this verse leads you to confess and your shortcomings and then you receive Christ's forgiveness and you're reminded of the new life that you have in him. Then you read these verses a different way. Then it goes to the, what we call the third use of the law, which is the guide by which we should live our life. So now, now when you look at these things, you're not like, I'm not doing a good job of that. But instead, you're thinking, mourn with those who mourn. Oh, yeah, Jenny just lost her, you know, her, her grandmother and is probably not feeling very well. I should go and do that. Or, you know, associate with those who are low. Well, you know, I've been noticing recently that this guy comes in and sits at the back of the church all by himself and doesn't feel like he can talk with anyone. Maybe I should go sit with him. And so instead of seeing the harshness of like how you failed, you start to see ways in which you can grow. And that's really, I think, what God is calling us to do in our vocations is to acknowledge that our vo- in our vocational aspects of life, we often don't do what we should, then receive Christ's forgiveness and his blessing of new life and, and forgiveness through sacraments and word and get back out there and look for the ways that that law can can cause you to love your neighbor better in the future yeah i always like we always encourage people to read things in context and if you go to the first verses of uh, romans 12 it starts off in view of god's mercies so the the first 11 chapters he's been talking about the the mercy and the grace and the kindness of god that's been given to us so in view of that this is how God would have us live mm-hmm. um, because he has, he has been good to us. Um, uh, he has been the one who's rejoiced with us when we rejoice. He's the one who's mourned with us when we've mourned. And mm-hmm. he helps us live in harmony with one another. Um, and God, uh, if anyone is, uh, can be proud, God can be proud, but that's not it a part not of his right. nature. Um, rather, he's humble and he steps into our lives. He joins with us. Um, and he said, there's... There's work to do as we love and care for one another. And he says, let's do that work. And he, he empowers and enables us to do that yeah. um, uh, by his grace and his goodness. And, um, and so he becomes the motivation in our life. That's also brought out in another passage in, uh, uh, in the next one that we're going to read um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And do you want to read yeah, that Yeah, I can one? read that one. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what, it, what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God has, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed up to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So uh, uh, a big part of our vocation is um, also recognizing the relationships that we have with, with one another. Yeah. And, um, and we recognize, first of all, what God has done for us. Uh, he's reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's given us a, a ministry of reconciliation. Yes. And that, that can be a, a, a hard thing to do because when somebody hurts or harms us, again, the first thing that we want to do is, how can I get even? Yep. Um, and, and yet a, a key part of our ministry um, uh, in vocation is to restore relationships. Yep. And um, so what, is, what are some of the tools that God has given us to, to restore relationships? Well, he gives everyone different ones. So okay. it's hard to say. I would say that each person, if they look at the blessings and skills that they have, especially when looking in light of other people that are around you, what things stick out about you that you've used in the past incidentally to do something kind for others. Figure out ways to grow and exercise those muscles so that you can be a unique creation in God's image to serve in the way he made you to serve. Yeah, so what, what gift has God given to the church that we can help in the process of reconciliation? The forgiveness of sins, the word in okay. the sacrament are the strongest and most readily available. I think, uh, I, I try to bring up sometimes in, when I do the forgiveness of sins and the absolution, that this is something that God has given to the church, this ministry of reconciliation, that we are to be made right again with each other and with God um, through this process of the forgiveness of sins. Through confessing to God, he gives us forgiveness. Then he gives us forgiveness again through the, through the sacrament of the altar. And he reminds us of the forgiveness which was given once and for all when Christ died on the cross that's then put into the power of baptism which washes us clean. And so all of it is shrouded in this super thick shroud of forgiveness yeah. that just covers over everything. Yeah. So I think that's really where it comes from. But I, I love the fact that uh, we are called uh, and identified as Christ's ambassadors. Yeah. Um, that we are given a ministry of reconciliation. And, um, and again, oftentimes when people hurt us, sin against us, we, we want to get even. But uh, as people of God who have been forgiven, mm -hmm. uh, God says a part of your vocation is forgiving those who have sinned against you. And, um, and when that happens, I think that makes a big difference in the lives of people. I think that we might fall sometimes into the trap of thinking that, that reconciliation and forgiveness are things that, that happen in the church and just stay in the church. But in reality, that's the starting point, right? That we, we receive reconciliation and forgiveness in the church when we forgive and when we confess and receive absolution and communion. 
but that that reconciliation then is meant to be extended out into the world so that others might receive it, receive the forgiveness, join by coming in and then receiving the the blessings of God in the service. Yeah, I, uh, you know, we've we've talked about uh, the work that God would have us do in the world, and so there's there's things that happen in the world, in the world of business, or in the world of commerce, uh, in the world of uh, of the civil world, or the world of politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that happen within uh, the sphere of the church, and there are things that happen in the sphere of the family. Yeah. Uh, but that reconciliation takes place in all of those spheres. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as God's work is done. And, and uh, um, again, some of the most powerful work can, be, can happen within our own families uh, as we share that forgiveness and love of God with, uh, with a spouse, uh, with a child, with a parent. Um, um, and we're, we're reminded who we are and uh, part of the vocation that God has given us. That circles back to the very first question and reading that we did when when Paul is exhorting people to stay in the station that they're in in life, because until you are performing very well in your vocation at home, or your immediate, like, right in front of your faith vocations, you don't need to go look for a bunch of other ways to serve God. The ways to serve God are, like, right, right there. in front of you. Yep. You know, do those things and do them well. And, and much like the servants in the parable, once you do those things and do them well, guess what? God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's ten more ways to serve God, yeah. right? And so... Um, do them well, build on that, that foundation, I think. Yeah. And, and so it's um, very, some very practical words from, uh, from our Lord uh, as we love and serve those around us as redeemed people of God. So that, that kind of brings us to the end of our discussion today. Um, so again, this is the second of six in our series of vocation. And so uh, we'll continue on. Uh, But as we conclude for today, um, let's close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, redeeming us as your children and making us your own. And you don't redeem us just so that we can then live however we want, but you have a very specific purpose, um, even as you continue to be at work in this world. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for inviting us and including us in your work. Uh, for giving us gifts and for giving us joy in using those gifts. And uh, Lord, when we misuse them or don't use them, uh, we ask for your forgiveness and grace. We ask that you help us to see the opportunities that are around us so that, uh, again, we can use them for your purposes as we build other people up. We ask that you be with us this day. Uh, Help us to see um, uh, all of the people in need around us so we can encourage them and build them up and use the gifts you've given us. Uh, May we have joy in using those gifts. And uh, in those difficult times, Lord, we ask that you give us the strength that we need um, as we love and serve our neighbor for for their good and uh, also for your glory. Uh, So be with us this day, we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.